This is not a Jeff Goldblum podcast, so let's keep talking about Katie. It should be a Jeff Goldblum podcast. (laughs) Welcome back to Melissa Guys, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. I'm a Motastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And today we are coming back to you with another episode on one of the actors and actresses of this wonderful BBC show that we call Merlin. And today we are going to be talking about Katie McGrath. And for this we have invited a guest who is a recurring guest and it is Alta Cello. Say hi! Hi! And before we get into anything else, let's hear some news. After Kamlan summary claiming for artists is still open, there's one more Wayne fig that's still unclaimed. If you signed up for ACBB and want to make art for this story, run, don't walk over to the ACBB community on LifeJournal right now. Camelot Drabble is shaking things up and is doing a bingo-based challenge this month. Check it out on LifeJournal if you'd like to participate. The Merlin Cannon Fest has still a little over a dozen unclaimed episodes left on their list. The challenge is to create a fan work inspired by a specific Merlin episode. Unclaimed episodes are from all the seasons, so go and have a look at that list. The Merlin Arthur Touch Fest has begun. You can post fan works all through the end of August for this fest. It's about touch starvation and it's run on Tumblr. And that has been it for news, so you all know what is next. It is the talkbacks. Indeed. Indeed. And we have two today. Both are from Archaeologist D, but on different episodes. And the first one, uh, ArchD left on our episode about Angel, which is fitting since we're talking about Katie today, that we would have a talkback about the Angel episode. And we were, I think, in the episode, we were talking about, like, you know, the choice of casting a black woman as as Gwen. I believe that was one of the discussions we had and what what made them go this way. And ArchD said, They had a hard time casting Gwen at all. Angel was cast at the last moment, so I'm not sure they really thought about her as a POC, just that she was right for the part. That's really interesting to me because, like, Gwen is one of those characters that I feel, like, I don't want to say she should be easy to cast, but I can think of so many TV characters that kind of fall into her kind of character archetype where she's good but strong. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even, for example, in Once Upon a Time, I'm thinking of... um, Ginny Goodwin's a character who is Snow like she kind of reminds me of that like you know you think of Snow White as like this epitome of like the delicate flower and she is delicate and pretty and cute and yet she you know is kind of like this powerhouse leader who leads the entire show kind of thing you know I know that's American so they wouldn't have got her for this part necessarily but I'm kind of surprised they had a 
harder time casting Gwen than like a young Merlin, for example. I think sometimes that um, casting directors are surprised by what they do and don't find because I've heard on other shows that I won't mention because it's distracting. They had one character they figured would be impossible to find and they found that character first thing. And then the character they thought would be really easy to find, they didn't find her until two weeks before they started filming. Jesus. Casting is, I mean, casting is so hard. I mean, I kind of um, always lived in this kind of fear of casting if I ever actually had to make like a serious movie because, you know, I think of the famous Hollywood story of the miscasting of Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future and how they shot for six weeks with him before they realized it wasn't working and they were like I'm sorry like you gotta go (laughs) we can't we can't yeah and so it's just kind of like it's so important to have the right person because you can't imagine that movie with anybody else and like with these characters I I mean it I think it's hard because once you have an ensemble it's kind of difficult to physically imagine what like how they would play against one another if one of them was replaced but especially for um Bradley and Colin I can't imagine anybody else playing them but I know that we did have this discussion I think in the Angel episode where we were like oh we I kind of now want to see what a Matt Smith and Karen Gillan like combination would be like in Merlin like if they were cast as I think it was meant to be Merlin and Gwen or something like that and then if there was a different Arthur and a different Morgana and how they'd all play play against one another but you know i'm really happy with the four that we got i mean the reason we say that we can't imagine anyone else playing them or that it wouldn't you know like what you said about back to the future that's because we don't have to because that's what the reality is if it had been eric stoltz you know either the movies wouldn't have been as popular as they are Mm. or they would be just as popular and no one would be able to imagine them being made with anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, that's just a thing that now that we live in this reality where all of these people were cast for Merlin, it is hard for us to imagine that it could be anyone else because we are so, like, we imprinted on these actors as these characters. So it's difficult for us to imagine them as anyone else. I think that's super interesting that they had such trouble finding a Gwen like you said you would think yeah. that that would be a part there must have been something in particular quality they were looking for that they just weren't seeing and please forgive me Arwen shippers but it certainly wasn't the chemistry with Bradley no. that was not something they were looking for with the example of what they were looking for in Gwen I can't remember exactly what the behind the scenes um sections did but they had a bit where they were like reading with angel Mm -hmm. and they were talking about kind of this this idea of someone that had this yeah kind of calm quality to them but a natural nobility that kind of was classless in a way because that is really the the crux of her character is that she does kind of and i I think in that angel is perfect because That definitely screams Angel to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and she's funny. She's funny when she plays it straight, which is hard to do. Mm. You know, it's it's a funny thing, and she plays it straight, and that's why it's funny. If she played it as a funny thing, it wouldn't be nearly as funny as when she just says it 
and it's the wrong thing to say, and then mm-hmm. she backtracks. Yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> that's really hard to do, and and she does it really well. So, yeah. all right. Diane's second comment was on our fanfic episode about modern AUs, and she said, "You guys are funny." I was born in 1950, so anything later than that for me feels modern. However, that said, I would probably set modern to be in the late 70s to 80s onward because the technology becomes so much more computer-based and that's taken over the entire culture by then. Plus, some modern moral values were being set. Women's rights, gay rights, etc. Starting then. Otherwise, if you define modern AU as set in the now, a fix set in the Merlin filming years would be historical, which doesn't make sense to me. I've read stories that were written in the 50s that felt modern to me. If you keep technology and fandom specifics out, it shouldn't be a problem to label it modern. And that that is basically what I've been saying in the episode, isn't it? That it's really dependent on your personal history and also the show and what time you live in what is considered modern because of my personal history I definitely would not consider anything set in the 70s or 80s modern even the 90s wouldn't feel modern to me but I can understand that someone who's older would still consider that modern because they've seen different changes Mm. in the world since they were children to now you know I quite like Diane's thing though of how the 70s feel like a turning point because of the social progressions that maybe would feel a bit alien to a modern audience say in the 50s you know kind of with a a woman's place in the home and like we said especially if most of us are writing queer stories let's be honest Mm -hmm. um that's a you know it kind of it's not going to feel very modern if you know they can be arrested for it do you know what I mean so that's not really I think that's really important um in the in the dialogue but um interestingly I think it's like what she said if you keep fandom specifics out of it it can actually feel modern and I think I again brought this up in the episode where there are um media books or movies that pay lots of attention to the era that it's set in and it feels very retro or whatever you want to call it and then there are other books that I've read that are set in the 80s for example and even though nothing about it is trying to shy away from the fact that it's set in the 80s because it's just about the characters and it's about them living their lives and not being like oh look at this 80s video game reference or look at that let's remind you that we're in the 80s you forget that it's set in that time period, all you realize is, hang on a second, these characters are writing letters to one another, they're not texting. (laughs) So it's kind of, you can make something feel contemporary and, like I said in the episode, timeless, if you do it in a certain way. But I think our problem was just more with, like, classifications and tags, wasn't it? That, like, in the real world, obviously, if you're writing a novel, you don't tag it. (laughs) Like, no one cares. (laughs) But, like when it comes to fan fiction it's a little more tricky because people want to know and so yeah i think it's a, a bit hard no i thought her comment about um the 80s and particularly the 90s being a turning point as far as references to to technology as someone who was born in the mid 70s i can absolutely attest to that 
And it's like you said, in the 80s, you would refer to people writing letters to each other, even in the 90s. But once you get to 2000, they're going to be texting each other. Yeah. It's not. It's kind of not like art or architectures. I'm always surprised by how far back the modern period is in art and in architecture, because it's like the 50s. Mm. I'm like, not modern. <laughs> yeah. So, so much of, of what we define as modern uh, in, in the, uh, in the modern sense, so much of what we de define as modern is part of our lived experience. Exactly. It's, it's not a formally defined art term, you know, the, the idea behind modernism is actually really interesting because we, we keep mentioning the fifties, like, Oh, art and architecture and books. And I think the key here is there was a big turning point socially, I would say, after World War Two, mm -hmm. everything kind of shifted, um, you know, uh, well, I mean, World War One, yes, but I think there was kind of this, uh, this need to return to kind of the the days of old, you know, pre-World War One, like in the in the twenties and thirties, and then in the and then in the forties, and then obviously post, like into the fifties, things really changed, and there was really no going back. And I think that if if we're talking about published fiction, I would tend to, I mean, I'm I'm not hundred percent confident, but I think historical fiction, I'd probably be more expecting to find pre like wartime and pre-war fiction in historical and then anything that's set in the 50s i would just expect to find in fiction at least in my oh, bookstores we don't yeah. have a modern fiction we just have fiction yep and and that's it like we we have fiction we have um uh young adult and then like we'll have categories we'll have historical fiction fantasy sci-fi but i don't recall there being like a section for modern fiction so anything that's like set 1950s and like forward i would expect personally i'd expect it just to find it in the normal section but with oh, fan fiction like i said yeah. the difference is is that we are writing stories that are a so predominantly about queer characters that just would feel out of place in an era where they just wouldn't be able to have the kind of relationships that they do now. And again, B, technology, which does seem to inform a lot of what we're writing about. So I think that that's maybe why we feel the need for modern literature for us to be kind of closer to the, like the time that we're all experiencing at the current moment. But it is really difficult. To, like, And I'd never even considered it before we actually did the episode. I was like, yeah, modern AU. Oh, hang on. <laughs> what does that actually mean? And it was such a <laughs> yeah. cool conversation. It was a really good conversation to have. Shall we get to the rest of Diane's comment yeah. then? So Diane was just saying that she doesn't agree with me about my characterizing reincarnation fix as not modern AU. She says, if it's set in the modern times, it's modern to me. Although I personally don't ever recall saying that. In fact, I remember saying very clearly that it was a Venn diagram <laughs> and that and that like for example the example I gave that would sit in the middle of the Venn diagram would be the student prints which I immediately would think of as a modern AU however realistically in in terms of the real classification of it it's a reincarnation fic but it is so modern AU in the feel of it that yeah it would sit in the Venn diagram to me what I was saying was that modern au literally by the words that it means which is alternate universe <laughs> for me personally really cannot use the same versions of the characters 
that were born, raised, and existed and or died in the era that Merlin, like, happened. That is reincarnation or Arthur Returns, for me, because they are the exact same people. A thick like Pairing Pendragon Merlin is a modern AU, because those are alternate universe, modern versions of the characters that were born and raised in the modern era and have no idea what canon Merlin is and have and they don't have memories. They're not th- they're not those people. They are modern versions of those people. So to me, they are very separate things. But sometimes you do have that situation where, yeah, the student prince is a reincarnation story. However, none of them really ever remember that that's the case. And only a couple of people know about this. And so really, it just feels like they're modern AU characters. I hope I that that's, that's coming across. One thing I'm, I want to say is that if you go by the exact definition of the words alternate universe, I would sort of agree with you. However, the thing is that due to how language in general works, just the term AU or even if you spell it out alternate universe, the way it is used these days in in language, in fandom language, it has become more of a catch-all phrase for anything that is not exactly canon or canon, just mm-hmm. like that is not exactly canon fake. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything that diverges from canon or is mm-hmm. different from canon in any way has become an AU and mm-hmm. thus even a re- reincarnation because presumably because we have no proof in canon that they were reincarnated yeah is considered an AU yeah because it's it is not exactly canon it is based on canon but it's not exactly canon and especially in reincarnation stories what i find is that these characters are still different to the characters in canon era because a lot of the time they will have been raised in modern times Mm -hmm. they will have different uh standards they will have different point of views they will have different experiences and then they will also have memories of their past lives that Mm -hmm. do sort of influence their characters and their relationship but they are still very much shaped by the world that they live in like student prince is a great example for this because Merlin and I have this this memory of this scene where Merlin is talking to the great dragon about I think uh, Sophia trying to draw an author because that's just what she does <laughs> in every in every story ever and like the dragon is like uh, well you have to kill her and Merlin's like what no I'm not going to kill her what are you talking about killing people is murder and that is illegal and dragon is like you didn't used to be so squeamish about this. So it's already, you know, there's there's this this difference between this reincarnated Merlin, who is sort of the Merlin from from canon, but also not, because he mm-hmm. has been shaped by a modern time and he's he has a very he's a much stricter moral compass in the twenty first century because he's like, No, murder is wrong no matter who I'm killing. Where yeah. whereas Canon Merlin is like uh, he just goes all out Slytherin on people, and he's like, yeah. "You, you hurt someone that I love, yeah. so now you die." Yeah. <laughs> Hands off my king! Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, 
So. But that's where I would agree with you, absolutely. Like, especially if reincarnation is either such a small part of the story that it's barely there, like in The Student Prince, or if it doesn't really happen until, like, the end and they don't really gain their memories until deep into the story and you're already kind of attached to them as their own counterpart characters to canon, then they would, yeah, absolutely fall into that kind of uh, Venn diagram. I just think that, like, I was just trying to make a distinction between stories that are written completely without canon in mind. Like, they never lived in canon. They don't know what canon is. Who knows what's canon? <laughs> like, nothing has anything to do yeah. with canon. Yeah. And then stories in which completely, like, they feel like they're in characters, but, yeah. but it's basically a continuation of the canon narrative because yeah. they are, yeah, so it's, yeah, that, so I was just yeah. trying to make So sure. there's, like, there's, like, pure AUs and then yeah. I don't know, impure AUs or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> then Diane makes one final observation and she says, I think the AO3 data is due to tagging issues. Most of what I read is modern AU. Maybe it's under alternate universe. I think this is because I said that, you know, you have more canon fake than modern fake and that AO3 backs that doesn't back that up. I'm not entirely sure what it was that I said. But yeah, I agree. I think that some people will only tag it as AU and not AU-modern setting, which is the actual tag on on AO3 for this. But like most people will just slap an AU tag on it and nothing else, no specification on what kind of AU. Because like... There are about a million different AUs, and you can tag for so many different versions of an AU on AO3, but a lot of people will just put AU on it and then hope that this catches it all. <laughs> and, I mean, I we've talked about issues with tagging on AO3 on this podcast at length. Mm. So I'll just, I mean, I know I'll just have to accept that AO3 tagging is not super accurate because of the human element. People tag however the fuck they want and a lot of the time it's not very accurate so yeah. I'm, I'm living with it all right now that we are done with these talkbacks if you want to leave us a comment you can do so at our website which is melissa.parakaproductions.com you can also just type melissa into google and it should come right up if you comment on our website there's a good chance that we will react to your comment on the podcast at some point if you specifically want us to comment on your comment, then please make a note in your comment. <laughs> let's let's see how many times I can say comment. <laughs> someone someone do a tally. And if you don't put a note specifically in it, then there is a good chance we will talk about it, but there's also a good chance we won't talk about it in case we have already talked about it. Also make a, a tally every time I say talked. We also have a Tumblr, which is melissa.tumblr.com. You can reblog our posts, you can add comments and replies or in tags, you can ask us, you can fan mail us, you can direct message the creators, which is Miss Snowfox and Bomotastic. You can tweet us at merlissen, you can email us at merlissen.podcast at gmail.com. You can leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes. And of course, we have a Discord where you can chat directly with us or where it's very easy for us to schedule guest appearances like Alter Cellos, for example. 
and you can get the invite on our Tumblr or our website. Or again, just by asking either Rox or me for the invite link, we will happily send it over. Okay, so I think we are ready to talk about Katie now. Are we yeah. not? <laughs> Wonderful. Sure. This is going to be our disclaimer that we put in our last couple of actor episodes. We will be discussing various appearances and projects of Katie and we will probably end up spoiling some of them. We will do our best to announce a major spoiler before we blurt it out, but this is your general spoiler warning for the rest of this episode. You have been warned. So, Katie. Katie was born in 1983 as Catherine Elizabeth McGraw. She's now 36, probably. Yep. I say probably because the actual date of her birthday is unknown, but it is speculated to be in January. That's bizarre that we don't know about it's, I didn't. I didn't know that we don't know this until I started researching for this episode. I was like, hang on, why do I not find Katie's birthday anywhere? And then I found out that, yeah, that's just a thing. That, there's, that Katie doesn't tell anyone when her birthday is. And that there are only, like, reports of people congratulating her on her birthday on Instagram. And then immediately deleting the post once they realize what they did. <laughs> So it's speculated to be in early January, but that's about all we have. <laughs> why is she, like, I'm really, now I just want to know why she's so weird about it. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe she just doesn't want people to make a big fuss about it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe people, like, send her stuff and she gets uncomfortable. Yeah, entirely possible. Yeah. Well, it's one thing she can control, I guess, you know. Don't yeah, put my exactly. birthday on. Exactly. Everyone yeah, but knows it's the year. so much effort. Like, it's so much effort, like, to like like every new person you'll ever meet in your life you like if it's such a thing for you you'll have to obsessively make sure they don't tell anyone and then if they do it, your life is ruined and it just seems like a lot of effort and you could just, just let it go i'm just thinking about like you know what about airport security for example if you have to show your id or your passport somewhere then these people will know what your birthday is what if they're a fan of yours and then they'll tweet exactly. to the world when your birthday is exactly so Gosh. I'm I'm very mystified by the fact that she managed to keep it quiet for over 10 years. Yeah, it's pretty well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she is Irish, as we all know, and she studied history in Dublin with a focus on Russian history. And I feel like I used to know that and then forgot, and then I found out again while doing research, and now she's just 100% more attractive to me than she already was. Because... Russian history. <laughs> yeah, she loves history. She's like really big into um historical fiction as well. Like people would often give her like books and things at um at cons and at signings and stuff. So, she really like, like yeah, like she loves to read. Like she'd always be reading like on set and yeah, well, love joke about how she's like a reading machine where she's basically like, just just keep flipping the pages. That's how Katie reads. <laughs> so so what you're telling me is that Katie isn't into modern AUs. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's a reason why I like her. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure, like, she should start a booktube channel, is all I'm saying. But oh, yeah. I think she would be, awesome. be really good at that. Like, she yeah. should do it on the side. And yeah. if Katie ever listens to this episode, I would encourage you to do this because oh, it would be entertaining for me. So, yes. yes please. Also, 
Katie, if you ever listen to this episode, tell us why you're keeping your birthday a secret and how you're managing. We don't want to know when your birthday is if you don't want to tell us. Just tell us how you're managing to keep it a secret all these years. Like, that is that is some serious magic. Before we go into her filmography... Before we go is... into... <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> you're terrible. Before we go into Katie's filmography, is what I was saying. Before we go into Katie's filmography, there's just one thing I want to say about her uh, general appearance, which we all know Katie is absolutely gorgeous, and from what I hear, she's even more gorgeous in person. I have not had yet the privilege to experience this for myself, but I'm sure, hopeful, that I might have the pleasure of seeing Katie in person. But what I do want to say is that Katie has a slim figure, but both as Morgana and even to this day, she's not supermodel thin, which I super appreciate. Like, she's got white hips and, you know, a a bigger bum and a soft-looking tummy, and I just love her for it. Like, she's not, she's, she doesn't have a six-pack, she's not super really thin, you know, her thighs touch, and it's just, that's just so lovely, you know. Yeah, she's just a normal person. Exactly. She looks like the real person. She's a normal person and she doesn't she she doesn't change that even though she's now, you know, in a big well, I was about to say big shot, but I don't know how big Supergirl actually is in the US, but she's like in an American television show, you know, and she didn't she didn't change her appearance for that. She didn't become thinner for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just one thing I really wanted to say that I've that I've been noticing as I've been watching more of Katie's project these couple of last couple of weeks. It could be that she f- just about fulfills Hollywood's quota for <laughs> probably. For I mean, appearance. I'm 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 sure her boobs help. I'm pretty sure her boobs help. Interestingly, that this would have been my note um, is that like I actually appreciate that you know she it's not like she's got boobs that like defy gravity like they definitely do not and it's kind of like that was for me when I was watching Merlin as like a teenager like 17 18 it was kind of nice like to see that because I've always like been a bit more busty and I was like oh it's nice to see that like that's normal like that they don't necessarily have to like you know you know sit up here like it's nice to see someone that looks real you know so that was really cool and she was like you know not that Angel isn't gorgeous because she is, but as Gwen and Morgana, like Gwen wasn't meant to be in the first season, like the pretty one, you know? So to have someone like be the pretty one, like Morgana and yeah, kind of like you said, Momo, have those real features. It's like, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. But still like, you know, let's not kid ourselves that she's, you know, Shrek. She's, you know, she's still No, no, absolutely not. And, love and it's, <laughs> And I mean, she is by no way like a bigger woman, you know. She is, she is still definitely slender, you know. She, she still counts as as thin in many people's eyes. I'm just saying that, you know, she still looks like a real person yeah. and not. Yeah, she looks real. She's yeah, she's she thin, looks but real. She's a real kind of thin. She's not the the starved tween as an adult woman kind of thin. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so. Katie's career. Originally, even though she studied history, she wanted to work in fashion journalism and then became a wardrobe assistant on the set of The Tudors. 
and there she was told to audition like she like I think I I read a quote from her somewhere that she was like oh acting was something that you know I dreamed about when I was a child but didn't think that I could actually do because you know I didn't think that I could ever earn my money this way and then she was told on the set of the tutors to audition presumably because she is so gorgeous I imagine and uh she was then cast in a tv movie called damage that aired in 2007 and she was also in a play called la marea i have no idea what it's about and i forgot to research so i'm just i'm i'm the embodiment of the shrug emoji right now and then in 2008 she was in two movies which uh, which were eden and freak dog and in the tutors which what Rox told me is she has a sex scene in it. She's in it for like I think like two or three minutes of screen time. Like basically what happens is uh Henry is like on the road um with his posse and then like he they come across like another group of people or something or like a noble and then he like, Oh, let me introduce my daughter and it's Katie and Henry like um like takes like her hood down and she curtsies and like you know uh, says uh, says hello and stuff like that and then like you just cut to them like in Henry's room having coffee together um <laughs> but like i think what's really cute is when i was listening to i i w- maybe i'll be able to find the interviews i really don't know if i will but if i can then i'll send them to momo and she'll link them when she was talking about how she got her kind of start in in the Tudors um she was like oh it's so strange because I was kind of like on set like sewing up someone's coat you know like or holding umbrellas over people and then the next day like I had someone doing that for me and it was just so bizarre <laughs> and it was kind of like really cute like she was like it oh, I just kind of changed overnight <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is really sweet so yeah I don't um I don't know like how the audition process went per se. Like she probably just like spoke to the casting director or spoke to whoever was in charge and they were just like, yeah, we've got this cameo that we need, like feel free, (laughs) you know? Um, But yeah, it's, uh, it's weird because like, I feel as though, I mean, I don't, I didn't hear many people talking about this cameo, like when Merlin was actually on and considering what the cameo is for, I was like surprised that it wasn't, like a big deal because it was like a family show and people that were watching at the time like weren't saying oh my god katie was in the sex scene like before she was in merlin and it's like i don't know i feel now people know about it but at the time no one was really talking about it which is weird but it's like it's not a blink and you'll miss it but it's like she's not even a character but we're just like katie yeah yeah Yeah, i mean it did surprise me that she was in other projects before she actually was in tutors like it's possible that the episode for Tudors was filmed before she was in any of the other projects, but ah. it definitely came out later. So, like, this episode of Tudors, I looked it up, it came out in 2008. And obviously we all know that Merlin also started in 2008. So. Yeah. <laughs> because if you don't know, you're a fake fan. Fake <laughs> fan, fake <laughs> fan. All right, moving on. In 2009, like, she did other things while she was filming... Merlin, like I, I'm assuming in, like whenever they had breaks from filming Merlin, like while Merlin was airing, mm-hmm. she did 
um, an episode of a TV documentary documentary drama docudrama. What is this called? There's I'm sure there's a a I useful term is docudrama. Docudrama. All right. So there's this five part docudrama on Queen Elizabeth II called The Queen. And Katie is in one episode of that, and she played a young Princess Margaret. And funnily enough, in the same episode, Amelia Fox, who we all know as Margot, played Elizabeth II. And then in 2010, she was in Madonna's directorial debut, which is called W.E. It's an Edward VIII biopic, and Katie played the mistress... Lady Furness. A lot of princesses and noble women she's been playing in her early years, isn't it? Mm-hmm. She's got, I think, the face for it. You know, she's yeah. Yeah. got like a good face for oh, a yeah, period definitely. piece. Yeah. Yeah. In 2011, she had a lead role in this incredibly cheesy Christmas movie that we probably all know. It's A Princess for Christmas. Ugh. And honestly, this movie is objectively speaking awful. Like, and I, I love Katie to death. I really do. But her acting in it is only slightly better than in some of the bad Merlin moments. And yet, I still watch this movie every year because it's also kind of cute. And it's a modern royalty AU. <laughs> and it's at Christmas. And I have a weakness for all of these things. But yeah, it's actually, objectively speaking, it's actually terrible. Although I don't shame anyone for liking it. Like, I like I it. Do. I do. <laughs> I just... I'll do it for you. <laughs> like, I know it's terrible. And every year I tell myself, this is the last time I watch it. And then I just, I'll watch it again the year after. I, I know I'll watch it again. Like, this is the thing about objectively bad things. Is that I... I want people to shame me for them because someone needs to hold me accountable. Like, and I'm not going to be the one to do it. So if I choose to spend my time watching the Lizzie McGuire movie, I need someone to hold me accountable for that. And a princess for Christmas falls into this category. I've never watched it. Like I, 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 I can only watch good Christmas movies. Like I think Christmas movies is that kind of genre where, the bad ones are just they're not watchable like the christmas movie genre is very very hit and miss as it is but no the bad ones you just can't do it but like well, yeah i feel like i should point out that it is a hallmark christmas movie oh. okay and so the thing with hallmark <laughs> christmas movies is they are almost literally a dime a dozen yeah. there are they are so very tropey I mean, yes. it's just plunk, 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 plunk. And all they do is rearrange the puzzle pieces. Oh, well, this time she'll know she's the princess and this time she won't. And this will be, you know, and they just they just rearrange the little puzzle pieces. Exactly. And that's what you expect from Hallmark. Like, you don't expect big cinema, you know, well-thought-out plot lines. Yeah, they, they, they give you no time to film. It's just boom, boom, boom. We're going to film it as quick as we can so we can turn it around so we have like a hundred of these things on. And they just play them on a continuous loop all Christmas. And the idea is that you just turn it on. You have the TV on in the background while you're cooking or visiting with people. That's exactly how I watch this. Yeah, and so you're not even supposed to pay attention to it. <laughs> That is literally exactly how I watch these Christmas movies. I just have them on in the background while I'm 
decorating my flat or wrapping right. presents or cleaning the bathroom or whatever. Yes. That's literally how I quote unquote watch these movies. That's the whole point. That's yeah, it's like fanfic that you watch. Yeah. <laughs> that's the it's, whole point. Yeah, like, that's the whole point. <laughs> but the thing that I found the most hilarious and I she was she was sweet in the movie and it was totally disposable and her accent her American accent was a little oh, God, it's it was definitely not Boston. No. Um, but the most hilarious thing was her nephew, who had to have been ten years older than Katie. <laughs> really? <laughs> the, oh, the poor guy. I I looked it up, and he's not older than Katie, but 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 he's just a year younger than her. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. There's no way. That so they are effectively <laughs> the same age. That had to. Have been and yet he plays her sixteen-year-old nephew. Figure. You know, she had to be the bomb figure. And I'm like, oh, God, that had to have been hard. I mean, it had been hard for her and it had to have been hard for him. Anyway, um, I thought, oh, I thought they, they pretended their way through that one pretty well. But yeah, no, it's it's a pretty... Yes, this movie. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that almost every Merlin fan has probably seen this movie or at least heard about this movie. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailer. Like, I remember seeing the trailer yeah. and going, great, that's I mean... a film I'll never watch. Roger yeah, Moore is in it. She was super excited because she got to work with Roger Moore, who was, you know, delightful and had yeah. a nothing part. I mean, he just kind of showed up and smiled and was grandfatherly. No, no. And... At, fir- at first he was he showed up and was grumpy. Oh, yeah. And then he started then smiling smiled. because the yeah. spirit of Christmas got to him. Right. Exactly. Just like the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm ruining the magic for you guys. <laughs> No, it's no, fine. I, There's no magic in this movie. There is no excuse for this kind of filmmaking. I don't care. <laughs> this is absolutely it's like one it's like one level better than the Disney live action remake bullshit that we're living through right now. <laughs> but I'm happy that Katie got to meet Roger Moore. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I uh, do you know what I actually find very, very amusing about all this? Is that the people that made this movie, A don't remember that they made this movie and b probably never would have expected this movie to be discussed on a critical platform like this one and so my i guess the the moral of the story is is if you want your hallmark shitty movie to succeed cast someone that's in a geek cult fandom Yeah, well, and, and they actually got a two for one on that one because the guy who played his name was Ashton. Isn't that awesome? Ashton. Oh yeah, Ashton. <laughs> um he ended up being Jamie Fraser on Outlander. So oh, the whole Outlander also, watches this this terribly cheesy movie simply to see Sam Hewen and they're like, Oh, she's kinda of pretty. Alright. Something else she did in two thousand eleven is voice acting for an Irish animated short film called Through the Storm. This is not the actual title. Like the actual title is in in Irish. Isn't yeah. Isn't yeah, is in, in, and I can't pronounce it, and I won't insult the language by trying to. But the the translation is through the storm. And she also appeared in a TV series called Labyrinth. I have not seen this, so I can't say anything about it. I'm sorry. And then in after she was done with Merlin. In 2013 and 14, she was was in Dracula, for which she got reunited with what's his face from the Tudors. Oh, Jonathan Reese. Jonathan 
Jonathan Riz Myers, exactly. She was reunited with Jonathan Riz Myers in Dracula. He played Dracula, and she played Lucy. And, and she I got watched... to be blonde. She got to be blonde for this one, which I should probably mention this year. Katie is a natural blonde, and yes, she has been dyeing her hair black for over a decade. I think she, since she was a teenager, because she didn't want to be blonde. She wanted yeah. to be dark-haired. And she dyed her hair every couple of weeks while she was filming Merlin so her roots wouldn't show. Yeah, Katie is actually blonde. Like, natural hair color is blonde. She doesn't like to be blonde, so she dyes her hair black all the time. It's just like, I don't care what the truth is. Like, because it doesn't make sense, I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> she really like, is a brunette. I mean, just she yeah. just is. It, yeah. So it was so odd to see her with a blonde wig on. Because you know it yeah. was a wig. They wouldn't have stripped all the color out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was so strange to see her as a blonde. I'm like, no, that's not Katie. <laughs> This is part of what makes her an actor, is putting on wigs. Yeah. I've watched a couple of clips from from this. Like, I watched her storyline. Like, there are, there are YouTube compilations of just her storyline in in the episodes. And I watched, like, two or three of those. So, what I gathered from her character is that through several circumstances aligning, she realizes that she's a lesbian. I'm I'm not kidding about this. She realizes that she's a lesbian, that she's been in love with her best friend Mina all her life, basically. And then when she tries to, you know, confess this to Mina because she thinks Mina might be feeling the same, Mina rejects her. And so uh, Lucy goes to this other lesbian um, who has encouraged her to confess her feelings to Lucy in the uh, to Mina in the first place, and she. Well, she gets some advice from her, makes out with her a little bit, and then decides to seduce uh, Mina's fiancé. Yeah, so that's that's how, as far as I got while while watching this. It sounds like my early 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Just without so, the fiancé part. <laughs> yeah. So this is strike one for openly queer character that Katie has played. In a production. So, there are going to be more. There are, yeah. Yeah. Also, in 2013, she was in one episode of the show Dates. And in this one, she is also a lesbian. And she is a lesbian alongside uh, Gemma Chan. Chan? Chen? Chan. I never know. Chan. Gemma Chan. Chan. And for anyone who has seen Humans, Gemma Chan is also in Humans. Gemma Chan is also in, I want to say, Fantastic Beasts first movie? I think she has a, a cameo in that one for like She's five also seconds. in Captain Marvel. And she is in Captain Marvel. I forgot about that one. Yeah, she's she's got a fairly prominent part in Captain Marvel. Yeah. So, yeah, Gemma Chan has been in a few things now, but in 2013, she and Katie were lesbians on screen together. Yeah. Yeah. And in 2014... Katie was also in a music video by Hozier. She's in a music video for the song From Eden. And I watched that one because it's like three and a half minutes long. So anyone can watch it. And there's a lot of slow motion, a lot of smiling. And it looks very like her acting in it. I mean, it's a music video. It's not a TV show or a play or a movie where she has, you know, to do. Not to say that music video acting is, you know 
less valuable than TV show acting, but I would imagine that it's slightly easier if you don't have to have any lines in it. So she's, you know, she's smiling a lot. She's having a lot of fun. She's like, she's laughing a lot in this. I, I would imagine that she and Hoja just got on like a house on fire and they were just having fun on set, basically. And um, what else are my notes saying? Yeah, I mean, I would I would support this, them being, if not friends, and at least getting along well. It's like, Hozier also shot with Natalie Dormer. And I don't know how many of you guys know this, but Natalie Dormer is actually Katie's best friend. Like, she and Katie are like BFFs, super close. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, they did the... Um, the ice bucket challenge together. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did it together. And like, like Katie and Natalie were like, they each were holding a bucket full of ice water. And then I forget which one of them talks first, but one of them says like, do you want to do me? <laughs> she, what do you want to do me first? And then I'll do you. And it's just like the cutest. So yeah, they're, they're best friends. I'm assuming they also met on the tutors. Coming back to this music video, I really do encourage you all to watch it because, like I said, it looks kind of effortless and nice and flowy and they were all left having a lot of fun. But then there's a plot twist and it really gut punched me. <laughs> I did not expect this from a from a music video, but then again, it's Hozier, so maybe I should have expected it. Uh, yeah, you should watch it. It's fun. Like, they are playing a couple in this. It's very cute. Like, two people with incredible hair being together like two gorgeous people with incredible hair being on screen together having fun it's just basically the ultimate fantasy (laughs) (laughs) okay in 2015 she was in a movie called the throwaways which i know nothing about i've wanted to watch i've heard good things about that and i have to find it that's one of those ones that's on my you know, the list that everyone has of things they want to watch and never get around to. Do, do you know what it is about? Um, okay, so I'm on the Wikipedia page, which is obviously not the best place to be, but that's where I am. Um, okay. So when... It looks like it's... Oh, okay. So his squad team is called the Throwaways. Team is seen as expendable and deemed to be the worst in the whole organization. So... It's it's basically it's it's a um, a caper kind of thing where yeah. it's a squad of people who were working for the CIA that um, they've decided are all crap and I'm guessing that they're out for revenge. But I heard it was good. I heard it was funny. Okay. Um, I you know I it's like you know, misfits just in movie form. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The best last resort mm-hmm. is the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what it rates on IMDb or anything. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. one that I've just always kind of casually wanted to watch. All right. Well, you should watch it then. I should watch it. Yeah. Find it she, in the same year, she had a small role in the first Jurassic World movie, which I have now finally gotten around to watching <laughs> now that I had this episode recording as incentive. And, well, like I said, her role is very minor. She's like um, one of the main characters' assistants, and she failed at her job, basically. That's her role, that she fails at her job. And then she dies in a very sensationalist way, like, towards the end of the movie. 
And it's just, um, the way she dies is terrible in many ways. Like, I'm not going to go into details, don't worry, guys. But, like, I mean, it's a, it's a Jurassic World, Jurassic Park movie, so... I'm assuming it involves dinosaurs. Most people get eat, get eaten by dinosaurs or torn to shreds by dinosaurs. And, you know, a lot of that happens on screen. Not in a super gory way, but, like, people get snatched up by dinosaurs. And you hear them scream. And Katie's character first gets picked up by uh, a pterodactyl. Gets thrown around a lot. Gets dropped from a great height. Then caught again by another pterodactyl and then like this goes on for like like at least a minute like she gets she gets grabbed she gets thrown she gets dropped she gets grabbed again and then she dies really terribly and it's just like why is this so drawn out like every other character every other named character that died on screen was just like you know snacked up and that was it but Katie's death is, like, dragged out for a whole minute just to be, you know, sensationalistic and to, to be shocking. And it's just, like, no other death has been dragged out this way. Like, every other death, like, they get snatched up by a dinosaur and eaten. And that's it. Like, 15 seconds max. Well, to be fair, it kind of, in a way brings it full circle to the very first Jurassic Park film where they talk about exactly that how you're lucky if they eat you in one go you do you guys remember that quote from like yeah. the doctor who's talking to the little kid trying to scare him and it's yeah. that like long drawn out thing of how he's like and then they'll do this and then they'll do this and that's if you're lucky so i don't know i guess it kind of makes it more realistic i haven't seen jurassic yeah World it's just not it's interested. just that you know there was a deliberate choice in making a female character who has been depicted as incompetent the entire movie, the victim of this fate. Like, most of the other victims are male because, you know, the male, like, the men are the ones who try to capture the dinosaurs or, you know. It felt very much like her being specifically punished for being bad at her job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... If that is the case, yeah, it just feels like it's kind of not really proportionate, you know? No. I mean, the entire movie is kind of misogynistic, so I'm not, you know, I don't know what I expected, but it's just... Okay. In 2016, many things were happening for Katie because she was in three TV shows. She was, And I've seen parts of all of them, so I have something to talk about. I'll start with Frontier because I've seen the least of it. Frontier is, I watched one episode in almost its entirety, which is the first episode she shows up in, and I was terribly bored because this is just not a subject matter that interests me. Jason Momoa is in it, and he's the main character. What's Frontier? Uh, Frontier what is, is a TV show about fur trades in Canada, um, in uh, I forgot what Late era. 1700s, it says. 1700s, yeah. And um, Katie is the widow of a businessman, and she ends up taking over the business and marrying someone else for convenience. And um, here comes your spoiler warning. Sorry, I forgot it earlier for Jurassic World, but here comes your spoiler and a warning. She's murdered very brutally 
and half of this on screen. Like, it's still not super gory, but she gets strangled. And, like, they, she and her, uh, her business rival, they have a physical altercation. Like, she hits him with... A heavy object and then he hits her with an heavy with a heavy object and then he overpowers her and strangles her to death after a couple of episodes which is just awful like that was literally just so that they could get rid of this character in the show literally <sighs> and again it was like it was like her being punished for something i just just hate when this happens to female characters. Like, she's good at her job. She's really good at her job. That's why she takes over the business. She's good at her job. Also, she has a female black servant who is her business confidant and friend. So that must have felt like a callback to Merlin days. And, um... Yeah, she's really competent at her job. She does well with the business. But of course, it being the late 1700s, no one will take her seriously if she's by herself. So she has to marry someone who will be like a figurehead for the company while she actually does all of the business. Mm -hmm. And the guy she ends up marrying, like she basically blackmails him into it. Maybe not but the then best they end. But but then they end up actually caring for each other because he's he ends up being loyal to her. And, like, proving his worth to her. And then she sort of falls in love with him. And then, so, like, in the last episode she's in, they have, you know, a very sweet scene where he defends her against his brother. And then she's basically, like, like this this confrontation between him and his brother ends with him sending his brother away and, like, no, she's my wife and I, you know, I support her in what she does and I just want to have this life now. And then he sends the brother away. And then Katie, to her husband, is like, I want to have a conversation with you in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and before that, like, they've been sleeping in separate bedrooms, of course, because it was a marriage of convenience. And then so uh, he comes to her bedroom and she basically is like, all right, um, you have been a big, strong man. Now be a big, strong man in bed. And um, it's, yeah, it's very sweet, honestly. And especially in the aftermath, and then you know they're they're really cute together for like five seconds, and then she goes to over like politically overpower her business rival, and it works. And as punishment, because she makes the mistake of staying to gloat, and then as pun mm. punishment for that, she gets strangled. So, mm. yay. <laughs> Um, I think it's interesting because another one of the ones she was in is called Slasher, and that's also a Canadian yes. production. And it's, so she it's must the same year. I've watched yeah. that one. Yeah. So she was in Canada to do all this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Slasher kind of is also very good, actually. It's a very gory TV show. Like it's literally a slasher horror series. Like anyone who knows what the slasher horror movie is. Oh yeah. That is that, just in TV show format. So don't watch it if you can't see body horror, gory murder, or sexual abuse of minors, because that is also in this first season. And, like, she's only in the first season. Like, every season is its own story arc. A little bit like, I think, American Horror Story is also a show where, like, every season is its own story arc. And so is Slasher. So Katie won't show up in the second or third season, as far as I'm aware. And Katie is very good in it i think there is a scene near the end of the sh of the first season in which she 
pardon my pun, kills it. <laughs> like <laughs> she is just out of this world good in this in this show. I think like this this the show is about um in the eighties a, uh, a a religious fanatic murdered Katie's parents. Like he literally cut Katie out of her mother's womb when her mother was still pregnant with her. And then murdered her parent, both of her parents. And Katie is brought up by her grandmother while the killer goes to prison. And 30 years later, Katie moves back into this town, into this same house. And basically the next day, a copycat killer starts murdering other people in town. And his murders are all like punishments for committing one of the seven deadly sins and Katie originally for other reasons but then later in the show to help to help find out who this killer is goes to talk to the man who murdered her parents and she starts like she basically builds a relationship with him like not a romantic relationship it's more like a friendship paternal kind of relationship that she builds with him and it's super interesting like i said katie is really good in it and it took me about two-thirds of the show to figure out who the murderer is and it's just yeah it's really good actually i mean rocks can't watch it not ever but oh i couldn't mm. watch it either so it, just it's a good show for, <laughs> for anyone who can watch stuff like this you should you should i mean i turned away Several times when the murder was happening on screen, I didn't watch the actual murder happening. <laughs> a lot of the times, like you, you develop a sense for when it's coming, and then you just look away. But yeah, for anyone who can watch stuff like this, I I do encourage you to watch it because it is actually a good a good season of this show. And also in 2016, Katie started working on Supergirl. And she still is on Supergirl, and she plays Lena Luther, the sister of Lex, the adopted sister of Lex Luther, I should say, because Katie is not ginger. <laughs> <laughs> and she's much better in Supergirl than she was on Merlin as well. I mean, it's been several years now, so she's you know she's gained some experience, and in in Supergirl, I feel like she's still recognizable as Katie. Not so much in Slasher. In Slasher, she kind of really disappeared into the role, which I really loved. And in Supergirl, you still sort of recognize Morgana sometimes in her. Like, mm -hmm. I feel sometimes I see Morgana shining through. But she's overall much more accomplished in her acting ability so far in, in Supergirl. From what I've seen, I've, I'm now, like, halfway through the second season. So I've only seen some of of her appearances in it but so far she's been really good it's annoying because i haven't really seen much of her in there i've only seen like a couple of scenes the only thing that does tick me off is that her accent is still terrible yes <laughs> i feel really bad for her because i i can physically feel how hard she's trying it's just some people can't do it like i, I almost wish that people would just let them act in their natural accent like if they it need would... to like, can't yeah. they just say, oh, I grew up in Ireland? Like, is that really such a huge yeah, deal? Yeah, especially because she's adopted. Yeah, it just you know. it doesn't make much sense to me. But, like, it's 
it's a shame about Supergirl because I actually was like a few years ago I was really good at keeping up with all these shows but by that point I stopped watching because there were four four TV shows to keep up with to keep up with one storyline this is kind of ridiculous DC like really CW like you need to cap this because <laughs> four was just too many and so I stopped watching before Katie came onto the show which is such a shame because I was so proud of her that she got such a big gig because that is quite a big deal to be yeah you know on a on a tv show like this so i've only seen a few of her scenes but you say that she is much improved since then. i i think she is much improved yes there's a there's the occasional you know um smirking happening but it's not a lot and also justice gay is morgana oh like, like this is like <laughs> a big yeah, like, I Again, not openly she... yet, but definitely super gay. Like, she and Supergirl, like, she and Kara have yeah. such gay vibes. Like, like, so gay. Yeah. Um, Have you watched Supergirl, uh, uh, Cello? No, I haven't. That's, that's another one where it's like... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't bring myself oh. to. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, it's... It's the kind of thing you can keep on as background noise. Like, if if it weren't for... Like, I thought the first season was actually much better than the second season. Partially because the first season has Callista Flockhart. And the second <laughs> season doesn't. Yeah. So anyway, watch watch Supergirl for, for gay Katie, basically, I guess. Like, her outfits are really cool. Like, she looks... She just looks very good in this. Oh, yeah. I see the promos go by on far far away they always do those roundups of the promo yeah. photos and yeah. i mean that it the costume design and stuff is really sharp she's always in those beautiful dark wine colors and I mean, yeah they really know they, how to dress her they, they absolutely do. know how to dress yeah her. and she looks she looks powerful yeah uh, i don't know it seems to be almost um i don't want to say she gets um that she's been oh what's the word for it uh, you know, when you get stuck in a one particular typecast. character. Yeah, typecast. But she does play a lot of women who are stronger and who buck the trend, you know? I have notes on that for when we actually talk about her character choices, like character selection. Yeah, so that was 2016. Three major projects for for Katie. And in 2017, all she did, apart from being still being in Supergirl. <laughs> she was in the King Arthur Legend of the Sword movie. And I watched this movie. And I enjoyed this movie. It is a typical Guy Ritchie movie from what I've been told. She's in it for like two minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> she's, she's, she, spoiler, she gets to kiss Jude Law and then she's stabbed by Jude Law. I think this might have to be like another one of those if you watch a Katie McGrath film she's gonna die thing yeah oh. mm-hmm. well she's been killed in a lot of the things you've mentioned no. including Merlin <laughs> well she's been killed in Merlin and she's been killed in Jurassic World that's literally everything she's and been killed in and with the with the Canada yeah, the, thing yeah the, the, um, the frontier one and then oh yeah sorry the frontier one does she survive in slasher or does she get she killed? survives in slasher oh okay 
and then mm-hmm. she gets killed in this one. So that's quite okay. like that's a pretty even spread. Well, it's not half. as bad as Collins. <laughs> but Collins is evening out recently, so we. Yes. we but Bradley is Bradley is the one who's verging over. Like Bradley is the one who's starting to die more. <laughs> that's the extent of her of her role. She's the wife of Vortigern, who is Uther's brother. So she is Uther's sister-in-law. But she's she's dressed in green, which also is a very good color on her. Mm-hmm. So you, you have that at least. At least she's pretty while she dies, I guess. And in 2018, there is a movie called Buttons, which is, I think, another Christmas movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie with, I want to say... Yeah, Angela Lansbury is in it, and Robert Redford is in it, and oh, Charles Shaughnessy is also in it. Yeah, so there are a couple of people in it. Oh, Kate Winslet is also... Oh, she's she's in a rating, alright. And Dick Van Dyke. I knew I recognized that face. So that actually looked like a good, cute kids movie. I, I want to see it. I haven't seen it yet, though. What is coming up is a movie called Secret Bridesmaids Business. It could be not be a movie. It could be a TV show. I think it's a TV show. Um, and um, yeah. all I know is that it's about like bridesmaids doing shady business, and Katie's role will be a bisexual woman, a bisexual lawyer, a bisexual lawyer woman who is described as, and I quote, an intelligent, loyal woman who is holding a secret. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. <laughs> so we are now up to three openly queer characters and two kind of queer characters with Morgana and uh, Lena. So, yeah, just for the for the quota. It's like, I think that's about as many queer characters as Colin actually played. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of because I was going to mention this kind of not with her selection of roles perhaps but this weird trend in Hollywood in general and Katie kind of fell into it and Colin fell into it and other actors like Darren Chris fell into it where you get these assumedly straight actors um, who do tend to get typecast in these queer roles and I think that's it's a really weird fascinating trend for me because there's not really much reason for it i mean yeah um, like in a way i guess they kind of maybe have like a certain personality about them but it's really interesting to me how it like you you do sometimes get actors that just get a lot of these roles and it's no different like from other kind of typecasting i guess but this one does feel a little bit different in the sense that you know of course there are different types of queer people but it's almost like you know they're playing the same kind of queer person if that makes sense do you know what I mean and like Colin especially because maybe he's you know kind of I don't know delicate and he's he's a twink you can say it he's a twink (laughs) yeah what mama said you can say it yeah he's a twink (laughs) um and Katie I don't know because it's like without wanting to come across like crass like you wouldn't look her and think oh lesbian like if someone asked you to draw a lesbian in like a crass way they wouldn't draw katie mcgrath so it's like but no but katie is time she has something about her right that makes you think well the thing is katie is actually 
And again, not to stereotype it to be crass, but Katie is basically a lesbian's wet dream. Yeah, basically. Like, that's just, that's just what she is. Well, yeah, I mean, she's wonder... not just a lesbian's wet dream, but, you know, just if well, we're talking I... about women. I have two thoughts on this. One is that there are plenty of out actors that could play these roles. And in a way, I'm offended that they don't offer them to them. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's the, the whole, you're going to have an actual trans person play a trans person thing. It's like, I'm happy and upset that we have to be happy about that because that should just be a given, right? Yes. But at the same time, I also think that casting directors are comfortable with the people they know. And there are certain people who are willing to play a gay character and other people who are like, no, I won't do it. Yeah. And I would say that Colin is open to doing it because to him, it's all about character. And clearly for Katie, it's the same thing, that the character is really interesting and sexuality is just yet one more facet. I mean, what my personal headcanon is to this, and obviously this is in no way supported by any kind of facts, mm-hmm. but I think that Katie might just be a little bit queer herself. Yeah. And that's what draws her to these roles, and that's what compels her to, whether consciously or subconsciously, also, you know, play play some of the roles that aren't necessarily queer, a little bit queer, like Lena yeah. Luther in in you know, it's just, I mean, well, obviously, I'm reading into it because that's that's just what I do. I just I just wear the slash goggles all the time. But like But I see I, what I don't saying. usually wear them I see what you're saying. Well, I don't usually wear them to... for the I don't usually wear them for female pairings that much. Like I'm not that much into fem slash, so I don't really really wear the fem slash goggles that much. But like with Katie and like Morgana the Morgana Gwen dynamic, but also yeah. the the Katie like the, the Lena and Kara dynamic that reads very queer to like that reads the kind of queer to me that Merlin author read queer to me. Yeah. You know, they that's do. just, and with other, with other interactions, when, when Katie plays with other women, I don't necessarily feel that vibe, but I do feel it with, with these kind of pairings basically. And it's and very I wonder how much of that is actually, yeah. And I think that's due to Katie just putting the flirt on. Yeah, but it's but but that's what I'm saying. I think it's just and either like you said it's just as simple as that she's just queer herself or it's it, there's something about her that it almost feels like uh, I don't I don't know what it is. It's this mysterious quality. It's this kind of untouchable quality where you maybe like from a casting director's point of view is like oh she she kind of seems so untouchable so beyond kind of you know like the common man that oh well we're gonna pair her with a girl <laughs> because you know like who could possibly you know be good enough for katie kind of no thing. one no, no one. one but like just i think with the conversation about like queer characters being played by queer actors i think it's it's a really really valid conversation and yet at the same time, I always kind of come from this point of view where I'm like, I hate also the fact that we're still in this situation where we can't just have actors playing characters they want to play, of course, right. because out queer actors aren't being given roles. But it's like, you know, at the same time, yeah, like if a straight actor wants to sink their teeth into an amazing character who is queer, even in support you know like because they want to you know kind of maybe they have a platform you know and they want to 
you know, share, like, you know, spread the good word and stuff. I just, I think it, it sometimes reads differently for me than like race because race has such a like physically identifiable marker most of the time, unless you do happen to be white passing. And then of course that's a different conversation, but with queerness, obviously this really isn't a physical or a genetic identifier. So it's like, anyone can do it really do you know what i mean so i feel like i always have a different relationship with this and i'm like well why shouldn't they play this character obviously if you're trans it's a bit different because there will sometimes be physical identifiers you know if you've um if you've gone through a transition the thing the thing about uh, about trans is not you know the just looking like it the thing about is that trans actors and actresses rarely get any roles to start with whether exactly. they be like they like trans actors aren't cast often to play cis characters right. and yeah. trans characters also aren't cast to play trans characters meanwhile cis actors get cast to play cis act uh, characters as well as trans characters yeah, yeah exactly. exactly and and that's just you know that's i mean if you're if you're queer and you're in the in the movie or the TV show business, you can, if you want and need to, hide that you're queer in order to get roles. Meanwhile, if you're trans, you can't necessarily hide that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you will be excluded from a lot, lot of roles just because you are trans. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're queer, your queerness doesn't necessarily impact you know what you your chemistry on screen or like you can if you're queer you can you can theoretically not just theoretically you can actually play a straight character you know yeah. that's and many you, you do can, you know you Matt can, Bomer famously you know play you know forgive me for saying but play straight very well <laughs> yeah know? well and and some of it goes to the whole concept of privacy right does it even really matter I mean yeah. for all we know Colin yeah. is gay for all we know Katie is, you know, or queer. And for all we know, Katie is queer. And is it really any of our business? No. But I would say that if you have that lived experience and you are playing a character that yeah, shares you bring more to the experience, definitely. you bring a lot more to the character. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Oh, for and you're life. right that, yeah. that physical things, especially disability, you know, yeah. stuff that... That's, that's the next thing. Disabled characters should be played by disabled actors. Right. It's the same it's the same thing because yeah. abled actors get to play abled characters as well as disabled characters yeah, but yeah. disabled characters barely get any roles at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. I'm just happy to see more representation on the screen honestly just to yeah, and I absolutely. and what yeah. I really want is for this Saskia character to be able to be herself and to not get punished for it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I just think like what you were saying, Cello, about the lived die. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, I think just what you were saying though about the lived experience thing. I think it's interesting because, like you said, Momo, like these other minorities, you know, don't necessarily get to play, you know, um, abled and disabled or cis and trans. Whereas, like, we do actually see, you know, uh, queer people who are very successful playing straight roles, very successfully playing uh, straight roles, you know, um, not not just one or two, but, you know, like I could name quite a few. And so I think it's interesting to me that when we talk about lived experience, we're kind of like, well, 
queerness is the because i've seen this a lot recently where people are kind of like hate not hating on actors but they're they're sort of like all right straight person tm that's enough queer roles for you now you know like maybe give it to, uh, to the queer person and i'm like i get that but at the same time it's like do you have to have lived experience being in a war to be in a World War II film? Do you have to have lived experience to have been in a car crash to like play a victim of a car crash? And it gets to the point where it's like, it's no longer acting. You're just playing yourself. So it's like right. acting is playing pretend. That's yeah, it's imagination. Funny. Yeah. And yeah. so I do think sometimes as much as I really understand where people are coming from, especially with with situations like trans characters and disabled characters and people of color when it comes to queerness i am a little bit just like really guys like this this yeah. is a bit too far because also everyone can be queer in a different way and it's like yeah. even if you're queer like this this character might not be you like it yes. won't have your experiences so i just... i agree i agree with that like i draw the line and like trans characters should be played by trans actresses and actors and disabled characters should be played by disabled people but when it comes to you know quote unquote just playing someone who's gay then i don't see an issue with with it being a straight actor or actress unless of course someone equally qualified gets passed over for the straight actor or actress yeah. just because yeah. the other person is actually queer do you think this is an extension of purity culture again oh yeah for sure Absolutely. probably everything it's... comes back to purity culture these yeah. days yeah. you know and it's just like these people these purity culture people they live in a world they live in an ideal fantasy world that is just not realistic because that's not how humans work and not how this world has already made changes to the oh, world yeah. and it's it's the same thing with like uh you know purity culture of like queer people uh only queer people playing queer characters like i get that it's a that it's a wish for representation and for like queer people should be allowed to play any kind of character just like in an ideal world it wouldn't be an issue that able-bodied actors play disabled characters if disabled characters uh disabled actors also got to play just normal characters like any kind of character like if that were the norm if yeah. any if any trans person could get any kind of role if any disabled person could get any kind of role regardless of what the role is like a romantic lead in whatever movie you know then it wouldn't be an issue if abled actors played disabled characters or if cis actors played trans characters that wouldn't be an issue but mm. we're not in this world where this is a thing like trans actors do get discriminated against they get very narrowly typecast yeah you know and, and like, the same is for for disabled actors and like just to kind of then like put a period on that i think that what sometimes does happen and i've been in this kind of situation myself is that if you are for example in charge of making these decisions and a lot of the people who make casting decisions are people of privilege so, like good people and i do think most people are good people will sometimes fall into the trap where you don't feel like it's you don't feel like it's your place to tell minority stories because you don't have that lived experience so i remember talking to some of my master's uh friends when i was trying to cast my film and i was talking to them about like you know 
people of color and representation and stuff and just in Hollywood and I was saying like oh you know we should have more people being cast and they were like to be honest with you I don't really think we need any more white people trying to tell black stories and I was like oh shit like I never even thought of it that way like yeah (laughs) that completely makes sense and because there aren't a lot of black people or disabled people or trans people in those positions of power to tell those stories it almost then becomes like a bit of a white savior movement which you also don't want do you know what i mean yeah and it's very tricky it is a vicious circle and it's really hard to break out of it because the people at the top are the ones that can make the difference and if the people at the top have privilege then it just becomes messy and that's basically what we have at the moment so but katie plays a lot of queer characters (laughs) yes yes uh exactly Exactly. Um, I mean, we've already been sort of talking about Katie Stein and character selection. I just want to add one thing to it is that she, I wonder how much say she, I mean, she she must have some say in what roles she picks, but like, we've talked about all of these characters that we've seen her in, and a lot of her roles are women who are in charge. Like, she's a strong, sexy female character, TM a lot of the time like starting with you know Morgana who is all of these things then in A Princess for Christmas she's like as bad as this movie is but her character is like fiercely independent and she's the one who gets people to change and like she is the one who says what goes even though she has a sort of vulnerability about herself like this is the next thing like these are sexy strong female characters with a bit of a vulnerable side and in Lucy, she was vulnerable at the start, and then she turns into this sort of femme fatale who seduces her best friend's fiance because her best friend rejected her. And it's just, you know, then, then basically she turns sexy after she was vulnerable. In Slasher... Honestly, Slasher is probably one of the most down-to-earth roles that that I've seen her in where she's... I mean, she is a strong female character, but she's a strong female character in the sense that this should be applied. Like, she is... She has survived a lot. She has been through a lot of trauma, and she is still struggling with some of it, but she keeps fighting. She keeps trying to keep her like she keeps her head over water as best as she can and she keeps going forward and she tries to make the best of a terrible situation but she's also she lets herself cry she lets herself be scared and she uses that to just fuel her more and so i think slasher ironically is probably the character that is the most well-rounded all of out of all the ones i've seen her in in Supergirl, again, Lena Luther, you said it, uh, Cello, you know, the way she looks in these promo pictures, she looks powerful, she looks strong, she looks kind of sexy. And that's exactly what she is on this show. She's a strong, sexy woman. Yeah, well, and, and the the costume design helps us understand yeah. that. I mean, I've never seen yeah. it, but you can tell that she's, yeah. she's the one who sits at the head of the table in the boardroom. Yeah. You know she's the one in charge. Yeah, exactly. In Frontier, it's the same. It's the same thing. She is a headstrong, sexy woman who blackmails other characters into marrying her because she needs a figurehead for her company. And then, when her husband proves himself to her, she rewards him with sex. 
and then she gets punished for having feelings. And it's, yeah, that's just one more of these, you know, strong, sexy female character types that she's been cast in. And I think, I mean, that is down to how she looks, you know, and I think it's also down to, you know, her being Morgana and getting that role and just people being like, yes, that is the role we want her to play because that's the role she's good at. Yeah, well, and even her little brief stint as Princess Margaret, um, she fits that rogue character because Margaret wasn't, she was raised with protocol. She knew the protocol. Protocol be damned. You know, mm-hmm. that's, Margaret really struggled with that. And so she's a great choice for that because that's sort of, uh, Case played a lot of those. She hadn't played a lot of them then, but that was what Morgana was doing too, right? Well, this is the way we're supposed to do things, but I don't think that's right. Here's yeah. what I think, you know, and so that she'd already demonstrated that she could play someone who, who knew the rules and who wanted to change the rules and was struggling with how to do that. Yeah. And what's, what ends up happening, and this is probably going to be a spoiler for a bunch of the, of the, again, more spoilers for a bunch of roles we've just talked about is that what ends up happening is that these characters a lot of the time with like a few exceptions like princess for christmas does not fall into this category but like in merlin in slasher in supergirl and even in frontier she walks a very fine edge of good or evil character like she's so she knows what the rules are she grew up with the rules and she wants to be good because she knows what it's like to be, you know, you know, she's seen evil and she knows what evil looks like and she doesn't want to be evil. But because of the kind of character she is, she's always walking this edge of, you know, slipping and doing something evil. So just to to spoil the ending of Slasher, at least for you two now, I mean, you're mm-hmm. not going to watch it anyway, so there's, there's no harm done. But... What she does in the end is she brutally murders this serial copycat killer as punishment for what he has done to her these last couple of weeks on the show. And she she does it with such a cold expression on her face and absolute calm. Like, she has been injured like they they have a they have a fight and she was injured by him like she i think her her shoulder is dislocated or or like torn up or something is like she's hurting and she manages to knock him out with a heavy with a heavy object and then she drags herself upright and hobbles to the door and at first as the audience you think oh wow i'm so glad she gets to escape but what she actually does is she locks the door so that he can't escape <laughs> and then and then she starts and then he tries to escape, but then her husband, because she she's married on the sh- on, on this show, her husband comes down the stairs and he begs her not to kill this dude because he knows it will change her. But in the end, she's like, no, he deserves this, and her husband ends up helping her. Like he keeps he keeps the killer still while she stabs him several times. This is this is what I find so interesting about her characters how how much they are like somewhere between a good character like a lawful good character who tries to be lawful good and then just ventures over into like sort of lawful evil 
probably. Like, she still has... There still are rules that apply, but she's not not any... Like, she's operating outside of what is legal now. See, and I love those morally gray characters. I just think they're so much more interesting. Although, you know, a, a good character can be interesting. Someone who's just straight up good. good you, can, yeah. you can make them a complex and interesting character. And the mustache twirling was what really got me in Merlin with her character. Was They didn't yeah. let her develop at all. They sort of froze her in this. Yeah. They slap a mustache on her and make her twirl it, basically. They, they make her twirl yeah. it. And, and she didn't get to really explore that. So that's nice to know that she, she got a chance to finally. Oh, yeah. Somebody oh, yeah. let her really it's... revel in being yeah. bad while it's, still being complicated. <laughs> it's it's really a shame that so many people won't watch Slasher because of what it is, because now that I've seen a little more of her work, I think this is her best role to date. Like, that was just, that was an experience, and like, her character was the reason why I kept watching. I mean, also, I wanted to know who did it, but once I figured out who did it, I kept watching because I wanted to know how this works out for her. Do we want to talk about what our favorite thing about her acting style is? Does she have much? Yeah, that's that's the question. That's Katie. She, I mean, she's very smirky. Like, I don't know. Look, I've said it before, guys. I'm not a huge fan of Katie's acting. Like, I don't think she's hugely accomplished. I think she gets by. Um, Honestly, I'm very surprised that she was cast in Merlin alongside other very very good actors um I can only assume it was with chemistry reads and stuff maybe um because she does have a great chemistry with all three of them and with Anthony but um I don't really see what what else they saw in her like unless it was this kind of like luminous kind of quality about her face and that there could be something you know disturbed there you know behind her eyes for later on in the show she definitely has that like you know nobility about her but this is i think definitely she gets typecast like colin definitely doesn't get typecast i wouldn't even say angel gets typecast because when we did her thing she she's done a bunch of things and gwen is nothing like her um bradley you know was getting typecast after merlin and what was trying to get typecast and then he was like i'm not doing anything because i I don't want to be typecast like i think he gets typecast a bit more with his personality because i think that like i'm not saying that he and arthur are the same person because they're not but there's a lot of bradley in arthur i think like the the cheeky boy like a, a bit laddish but really a heart of gold like there's definitely that in there and the humor as well Katie I, I there's not much of Katie and Morgana at all to be honest with you but I think she plays okay she plays it very safe I think that's what it is her acting style is that I think she plays it very safe she's not really yeah. playing herself because like you know like we've seen her like a bunch yeah. of us have met her but it's just very one note it's very kind of like we'll yeah. do the safest reading of the line we'll do the safest expression and the most generic one and I don't know how much of that is bad direction i mean i think it's just that it you know it it doesn't come naturally to her she has to work at it yeah which honestly i admire that she keeps working at it that she's still in this business and honestly 
there is nothing wrong. I mean, I know you don't you don't mean to say that there's anything wrong with how she does it, but like honestly, there really is nothing wrong with playing it safe. I mean, she still gets roles. People still oh, want yeah. to cast her in things. She still gets paid. So she's yeah. like, you know, she's she probably knows she's no Colin, you know. She she's aware that she is no Colin Morgan or Angel Colby or Bradley James or any of the other actors that are more accomplished than her that she's worked with. Like she knows that. And yet she keeps she keeps working because she got this chance and people are still offering her roles. And you know, it keeps and working out it, for her. Yeah. And she enjoys it's fun like she enjoys it. I mean she, she must enjoy it. I I doubt she she'd keep doing it if she didn't enjoy it. She has other things to fall back on if she needed to or wanted to. And you know, it's so that's like I know I'm not the the best librarian in the world, but I I do my job and I enjoy doing my job and I do my job as best as I can. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and absolutely. it's it's the same like not every person in the acting business can be a three-time Academy Award winner. Yeah, for example. absolutely. Like, not not everyone can do that. Not everyone can be Tom Hanks or Kate Winslet or Leonardo no, DiCaprio not. or whoever yeah. you want to put in that position. And there are, yeah. you know, and there are people who are much um, higher up in this industry than she, who I would say the same thing about. I would put her on the same kind of level as Jennifer Lawrence. I think Jennifer Lawrence is a very mediocre actress who plays pretty much the same thing every time and i yeah yeah i wonder how much of the safe choices are because she didn't she didn't get a chance to go to acting school you know she's not done a lot of work specifically on how to act and so she's i would call her a very natural actor and that there's no she doesn't have a technique she's applying right yeah so yeah that's going to limit her a bit you know the advantage that Bradley and Colin and, and Angel all have on Katie was that she was literally learning on the job. And she said that more than once. She's yeah. super, super frank about her, her inexperience, especially on Merlin. She's like, and I kind of, you know, I got into the swing of things, but I'd never really done anything like that at all. I mean, she was a, a history major at Trinity college. Yeah. yeah there's a, I think there's a quote where she talks about how, like on one of her first days, they were like, "Okay, Katie, so you're just gonna get up, find uh, uh, walk up, hit your mark, find your light, and deliver the line." And she's like, uh, uh, "I don't understand uh, anything you just said." Yeah, <laughs> like, is which is kind of ridiculous because you think that they would know that, like, <laughs> like, the, I, I don't know, like, yeah, did they not know. discuss her experience beforehand? Like, they cast her for a reason, so it's not like she'd have to lie. I don't know. Like for me, it's just ridiculous that they didn't like give her something i mean or maybe they didn't have the time i mean we know it's tv so it's a lot of you know kind of uh, but just even a little bit of background as to what would be expected of her like but then again again like you know, not not to bring kate winslet up constantly but they do have the same name kind of so there you go but you know she did kind of do a bit of theater school and stuff she, but she got hired at 17 to go work on uh, i mean she did like a couple of things like she did like some casualty and you know like like what other british people do but really mm. her first proper gig her first proper gig uh was for peter jackson in heavenly creatures at age 17 what a lucky <laughs> sod and yeah. you know um she says herself you know there is no lesson for that you learn on the job so i think film acting specifically is a beast in itself and it doesn't actually really matter if you've been to school because 
you might have some tools to help you but yeah you basically just have to hope that you have a good director who can really bring out the best in you and um you know i can only imagine how terrifying it must have been for her on the set of merlin not like basically knowing as much as i do essentially i wouldn't be able to do it you know so oh yeah yeah it would have been yeah. Which makes me think that probably the director she had on Slasher probably then was good. Because like I said, she really is I think she really is good in in Slasher. She really haha killed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well and I just I think she's a lovely person and I'm happy to support her professionally by, you know, just yeah. sort of casually following her stuff. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I probably don't really, we don't probably need to talk about this a lot because favorite production or character she played <laughs> is, I mean, you, Rox has only seen her in Merlin, so I would assume that's Merlin. Yeah, if I was Supergirl, I probably would also say that I would, like, I can you, imagine I would really like Lena, but yeah. You, you can you can watch the Hozier music vi- video, maybe you'll like her in that one more. It's <laughs> already <laughs> And Cello, you haven't seen that much of her either, so is it also Merlin? Oh, it would have to be Merlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jules was cute, but no. Yeah, no, not good. Yeah, for me, big surprise, it's her character in Slasher. <laughs> if I watch that, I might, I might, yeah, appreciate that one. But uh... yeah, it's. I like I said, it's a shame so many people won't see it because of because of all the gore and the murder and the blood and everything else but it's uh yeah it's really actually really really good and that is definitely my favorite character that she played and if i remember correctly her name is elizabeth in that one mm-hmm. in slasher no it's sarah slasher. it's sarah sarah why was i thinking elizabeth um because the in frontier she's elizabeth that's the, why she was in front and i watched frontier elizabeth. after i watched slasher that's why yeah. That's there why. I'm sorry. Yes, her name is Sarah. All right. Favorite scene. Roxy, you have one. Do you want to go first? Oh, yeah, I have one. <laughs> um, my favorite scene of hers, like acting wise, probably would have to be um, in uh, The Coming of Arthur Part 2 when she runs into the Great Hall and sees that Morgos is like knocked out and she like screams and runs over and she's like kind of like trying to gently like cradle her head so it doesn't fall and like she's kind of whimpering and like crying but not really but she's like crying but she's also angry and then she just like has that fit of screaming when all of the windows blow out and that was like one of those moments where I was like oh damn I really actually feeling for her in this moment like everything is just going wrong and everything that she's holding dear is like falling apart in front of her and I thought that she actually kind of really killed it in that moment like as Morgana like in her like desperate grief kind of stage I agree that was a really that was a really good one that was a great it it didn't have to be calm or controlled but there is a way to to you can let those kinds of scenes get out of hand and she really didn't I thought she did a really good job in that scene trying to think of of Honestly, you know, what is it with that whole, um, the scene in the fires of Deershalus when Merlin poisons her. Oh God. Yeah. The look on her face without saying a word. Yeah. 
the look on her face was so poignant. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on, yeah. Yeah. Actually, she was really good in that episode, actually. Yeah, like, she was good in that whole episode, that, that weird confusion and, like, doped out kind of look in her eye. Yeah. Where she's not really sure what's going on and Merlin's acting funny, but I don't know why he's acting funny and I don't really know what's going on either. Why am I the only one that's awake? Uh, like she was at, she actually knocked it out of the park in that episode, I will say. Yeah. I don't know what she was doing, but she was doing something. <laughs> that that was one of my favorite episodes of hers, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she was good. And especially in that scene because I think I mentioned that scene for Colin. I and completely it slipped my mind that Katie is also um fantastic especially like when she's trying to like stop him from comforting her yeah oh god that i still can't believe that merlin did a scene like that i feel like i mention it every week and i still can't get over that they wrote and did a scene like that it was just if only it had actually kind of been a sign of things to come i thought wow we're getting into something really interesting here. And it was just kind of like a one-off. Like they didn't really go there. They didn't fully go there. They, they just, they just teased it. They, they didn't quite like go over, but oh well. And mine isn't, mine isn't from Merlin. Mm-hmm. Mine is just, I'm sorry to repeat myself. This one of these final scenes from the slasher, mm-hmm. the one that probably hasn't been described to the audience in detail. Like I did to <laughs> Rox and Cello. But there's there's a final scene in the slasher, uh, in slasher where Katie just absolutely brings everything to the table, and it's just chilling. Chilling is the word I would use, and it's just yeah, she's incredible in that one, and it's really, it's really good. It's really good. Okay, do you guys want to do favorite delivery of a line or not? Yeah. I've got okay. one. I don't know if anyone else does. <laughs> no, you go um, So my favorite, I mean, I don't think Katie's line delivery is that amazing, but there's one that I just feel like, I don't know where she got it from, like where she found the energy, the strength, like the way that she did it. But I think it's one of the best things that she's ever done. And it's her final hooray kind of in the show in uh 5:13 right at the beginning where she just screams I want him dead and it's just like every time I see it and I listen to it I'm like I don't I don't know where she could like where she got the guts to do it like that and I just felt every bit of madness that was in Morgana in that moment and how she was I was like this isn't even like a full person anymore this is just like someone that is not okay like at all and then just obviously like strangling that guy with with her mind like Darth Vader and it was just yeah kind of what that line every single time I hear it like she does it so well but yeah that's my favorite line that she's delivered oh I'd have to go probably all the way back to season one and the bit where uh she confronts Arthur in the, the poison chalice where he's brooding over the fireplace and saying well my dad says I can't go And she just looks at him because she knows exactly how to get him to do something. And she says, is that what you want to be? Is that what you want to (laughs) be? Do you want to be someone who who does the right thing? Or do you want to be someone who I don't remember the exact line. I'm 
slaughtering it. But she does when she hands him the sword and says, "You, you, sh- you know, you get to choose who you want to be." Yeah. And I just thought her delivery of that line, the the sister who's manipulating her brother without, you know, to to do the right thing while making him think it's his idea. <coughs> Girlfriend. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, it was just I, that that was a fine here. Um, yeah. Do you do you want me to to tell you the actual? line or oh yeah um so she says um uh, so he says uh and if i don't come back who will be the next king of camelot there's more than just my life on the line and she says and what kind of king would a camelot want one who would risk his life to save that other lowly servant or one who does what his father tells him to and then she yes. gives the sword and he's like damn <laughs> all right fine why do you always have to be right yeah <laughs> yeah no i love that i love that little scene between them yeah <laughs> How about you, Momo? I don't have one. Like, I feel like it would, like, there were some, some thrilling moments from the slasher that come to mind, but I can't think of the exact lines, and also nobody else has seen this, so, uh, it's just, I would have to explain more plot to explain why this was thrilling, so, that's all, that's all right. I wouldn't know the exact lines anyway, but... Just, just know that probably would have been from Slasher, <laughs> which is apparently now my new favorite Katie show. I was just already thinking about probably rewatching it just to see all the hints to the to the killer earlier in the show. But yeah. yeah. To conclude, do any of you guys have any specific Katie recs you want to share? I have some. Yes, then please. Uh, I've got me. three. I've got three vid recs. Uh, one of them uh, I've been waiting to share specifically for this because it was from one of my friends from years ago, uh, Jess, who I've wrecked many times. Uh, I like you thirty one on YouTube, and um, she made. Uh, she just made like a like an image only kind of fan vid of Katie uh, to in my head by Jason Derulo. And that was the first time I'd ever heard the song. And I absolutely loved it. Like it was, I was like, Jason Derulo is awesome. Like his music. I don't know anything about him as a person, Um, but uh, it's really great. Like she kind of like, Jess is one of those people where I'm just like, we are not worthy because what, what she can do with her editing, like kind of so like seamless, like, sorry, so effortlessly it's just crazy and I always was kind of in awe especially when she would make just like image only stuff how creative she was with it and this is just like a feast for the eyes it's really really good um the second one is called bubblegum bitch (laughs) for uh by forsaken witchery and uh it's really good it's uh got a bunch of her other projects in it not just merlin like uh there's some dracula in there i think it's kind of meant to be more like a sexy kind of vid so if you like that side of katie then go ahead and watch that and then uh this one is called i am anyone you want me to be by jolly 015 and it's to the song fashion by lady gaga everyone loves a bit of the mother monster so go ahead and check that out and it's really really good yeah um three wrecks uh do you have anything uh cello Nothing specific. I'm sorry. I'm totally unprepared for you guys today. It's okay. <laughs> it's a tricky one to get Rex for when it's the actors. It yeah, is. That's, yeah. That is very. That is very true. My Rex are not any fan works. I'm sorry, but I would recommend that everyone watch Hozier's music video from Eden because it's cute and it's like. You know, it's sort of like a fan video, except it's official music video, but it's the same length. 
basically. It's also set to a song and Katie's in it. So, you know, you win in every single way. Plus you get to listen to some Hozier. So I, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> and I'm just gonna repeat this thing that I've been saying this entire time. If you can stomach watching Slasher, watch Slasher. Because it is a treat as far as storytelling and Katie go. Like, in my opinion, it's definitely a treat to watch her in this show. Because it's something, like, I mean, she is still this, you know, sort of, kind of strong women type that we've been talking about. But there's a lot more roundedness to the character and she gets to explore other sides of what she usually does, like which is a lot of period drama, you know. And it's just it's just really interesting to watch. Also has a pretty diverse cast and many, many people die. So, you know, go go watch those things. If if you can. And Slasher is on Netflix. At least in Germany Slasher is on Netflix, so you you can definitely watch it easily if you're so inclined. Okay. So this is this is nearly the end now. Which means that I can tell you guys that our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Melissen. Any other music used in this episode is from freesound.org. The man up on our cover is made by Brolin's Keep and the cover is made by me. And I am Momotastic27 on Tumblr and Momotastic on AO3. And I am Miss Snowfox on Tumblr and on Instagram and Magical Unicorn22 on YouTube. There we go. There's some places that you can find me. <laughs> Cello, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me pretty much everywhere as Alto Cello. I'm on Twitter and LJ and Dreamwit and Tumblr and pillow fort and probably someplace else but i'm always alto cello all right there oh ao3 that was the other one <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go now you know where to find cello and in two weeks time we are going to be talking about episode four of season two lancelot and guinevere we're going to <laughs> Rox is very excited. I am. And we're going to have Amphigori, I'm sorry, Academy Award winner Amphigori back for this episode to give their professional opinion on everything, as well as general fangirling about Lancelot and Guinevere. And support well, for me. <laughs> support for you, where I'll be sitting just like, Meh. yep, I don't like anything <laughs> about this. And yeah, that will be coming your way in two weeks. And until then, I will remain Momotastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And our guest was Elta Cello. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. Please come back anytime you want. Guys, we will talk to you in two weeks. Until then, bye.